show, brave enough to turn all of your social media posts into stitches on a giant piece of fabric. I'm Mark. And I'm Leno. And today, I have a little piece on Meta's Twitter competitor threads. And I have a little piece on Twitter itself and how it got itself in the predicament it's now been. And we also just have our usual grab bag of topics. Some of them may or may not even be tangentially related to Twitter. I think it would be best to just kind of establish some context here. Uh, what has been going on in Twitter? Well, a, a, a couple things, to be honest. Elon decided to do this little thing called rate limits, um, where he wanted to kind of get um, get rid of the uh, constant um, uh, issues with uh, things like, like scalpers and the people going through. The thing with that is it was very, very much uh, unprepared and very much not well uh, executed <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. With that said, the rate limits are basically as follows. Effectively, uh, the current Twitter limits are 500 messages um, sent per day. For tweets, you can do about uh, 2,400. And um, the daily update limit is further broken down into smaller limits for semi-hourly intervals, which basically, which basically means that <clears throat> you're, um, you're basically never, ever going to accrue time you're pretty much losing it live. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I didn't go to Twitter to basically be, be put on a paywall time lock. So everyone is not really happy about it. Uh, no one's not really a big fan of it either. I mean, they've been uh, trying to update it a little bit to try and accommodate. I think anyone that has like Twitter Blue has like 10,000 or something like that. But that kind of means nothing in, in the face of eternity. Uh, the eternity being their followers leaving, but not um, benign anger. Because don't get me wrong, uh, anyone that, that uses Twitter uh, terminally isn't just going to leave, okay? Like, they've been, they've been getting beaten and battered for, like, the past couple of years now. It is pretty, it's pretty, pretty bad. It is really, really um, upsetting. But they just won't get out of it. They won't delete it. We'll just get over themselves when it, come, when it comes to leaving Twitter. It's just, like, this one thing that, that like, our brains need habitually. If you're if you're like in the social media sphere, and if you're trying to get like news like in your community on like a massive scale, because Twitter has been like the only source for that for a very very long time, and because of that, they have been really the only space to have area to capitalize on um, on like both both sectors, uh, but that kind of ended this week with the announcement of Threads. I think the context here is the fact that Threads has grown so rapidly within just the past few days of its existence. Right, yeah. It's just been like rampant. Like the followers have been pretty much climbing up, <laughs> I guess you could say, uh, as, um, as the days have gone on, like re- like extremely fast. I, I didn't um, experience, or I didn't imagine this amount of growth, like for, well, Instagram on the ball things, like ever. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, back to Twitter, mm-hmm. though. So as far as like recent controversies, I know rate limiting was definitely one. There's also been a lot of controversy surrounding uh, Twitter's very litigious behavior towards Threads. Elon and Zuckerberg are having their little feud right now. Uh, yeah, there's kind of an updating uh, news story as um, right now, but so far um, it's been it's been reported that uh, Twitter has um, tried to file a cease and desist uh, with Instagram, uh, pretty much saying that they're infringing on um, on their content. Or people over at Instagram are pretty much saying, uh, well, hogwash because our stuff is pr- is pretty much a uh, 
like di like different for on a creative level. Um, there's not really much to say about it right now as the um, case is still ongoing. Um, however, the behavior around around uh, this, uh, I guess you could say, white like slap slap with the white glove, you know, uh, it um, has not has not gone gone down without you know an, any sort sort of recourse. Uh, Mark Zucky has pretty much been <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty much been uh, going going full meme lord about it over on Threads. Uh, he's been making a couple a couple jokes about it himself. I think earlier today I saw something about like. Uh, Elon's chat tracking, uh, getting kicked from Twitter and, and joining threads themselves, you know, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure that's a troll move in and of itself. So everyone's just kind of like dropping over in the droves and it's seeming like threads is going to become real competition uh, as on the other days and weeks and really years that follow. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's still early in development, so we kind of have to wait and see. Yeah. And as far as things I've interacted with directly and things that have directly affected my use of Twitter, which as an account, which is mostly just like as an accountless person, right? I had an account briefly. This was like shortly after the buyout. But for years, I had been reading Twitter for various reasons, you know, all kinds of things that were going on in the news or all kinds of opinions that I wanted to hear from people. It was basically like the nexus Mm. for the longest time for opinions on pretty much anything. You wanted to go to a public figure and see what they had to think about something, even if their opinion was definitely tailored for their Twitter audience or perhaps not all that very genuine because Twitter is a place that's known for encouraging performative behavior. But <laughs> so what happened with like Twitter requiring people to have accounts to even access the site for a little bit? I know that that was a big deal, but they just kind of stopped. They backtracked on it. Uh, well, yeah, I think um, they had to renege on it a bit because we, well, they were just losing people. I think it was just because they had um, threw it out there in tandem with uh, the rate limits. So they just decided to get rid of one in front of the other. But essentially, yeah, the uh, the policy that they were trying to implement essentially required you to log in with a um, email or site to even view uh, Twitter or uh, with an email or phone number, sorry, to view Twitter on any device, like on any like PC platform, I think on mobile as well, or at least they were trying, they were trying to um, get that rollout started. And yeah, that caused um, a lot of issues too. And it should have because on any other platform that, that, that definitely would have just been an, an insta killer. I mean, that, I mean, you can't really, well, do that <laughs> in a lot of circumstances. I mean, that's and that's why I mentioned Twitter is its own beast because there's no there's no other um, app that can um, that can really do that and keep on punishing its its main its main user base and have them coming back for more. Even Reddit, to a certain extent, will take a, a couple weeks off before it'll, or like its main population come back after some sort of ban or strike or whatever. I mean, we just had um, had one now. They're um like it's almost like it never even happened. It's not like it's beyond anybody that um that this is like the kind of treatment Twitter has or um with or like its relationship with this community. But it's not to it's not to say that the fact that they even had the, the gall, we'll say, to do it. Uh, it um, isn't lost on anyone either. You know, like if, if this was, you know, say Instagram or uh, YouTube or, you know, just even freaking, I don't know, or Google, you know, face, Facebook pro proper, Twitch, any of them, you know, if they if they had that kind of policy, oh, no, they wouldn't survive. They would not survive a day. You right. know, so it it, it just kind of goes goes to goes to show Twitter is kind of like has at least existed in its own echo chamber and threads has kind of become a disruption to that within within a manner of, of days. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very it's very interesting, you know, in, in that regard. Yeah. 
And then a lot of these moves ostensibly were like to prevent bot scraping for AI chatbots and stuff like that for training models and everything. And I understand that in this era, that's a very shaky thing to be doing. And as a publisher and as a site owner, you need to like be able to combat these things. I know that what one thing that really scares me about having a blog site is like, are my opinions just going to be scraped by chatbots so that they can train their little models or whatever? But the problem with that is you have to make a very gigantic usability compromise for that to even be possible. And Reddit learned very quickly that API costs are basically going to skyrocket if these things are scraping all of your content and you're basically getting nothing in return. And that's kind of one of the things that really killed the third-party apps, although Reddit was incredibly heavy-handed in its approach and ended up destroying any goodwill it would have garnered for the move by just being as aggressive and as militant about it as possible. And I think one thing this really speaks to here is just not only a failure of communication, but also just a failure of management from the Musk administration at Twitter. Well, no, I, I definitely agree. You know, it's, it's, it's just like this ongoing tactic of, you know, have like having a tumor like in your arm and then deciding to cut off um, like the whole entire appendage, you know, you just it's very, it's very, very strange that um they keep on going like going full scorched earth when it's just like one singular issue with a lot of these uh like like trials that they um, that they face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. But, well, I mean that's that is very that is very real, right? Because when we're talking particularly about trust and safety policy on these platforms, these things are designed with a lot of ethical compromises in mind, right? You cannot craft a moderation policy. You cannot craft a usability like tool of any kind on your platform. You can't craft anything related to accessibility, any of that, without running into compromises for something, right? And Nilay Patel was very, very, very clear about this when he wrote his Welcome to Hell Elon article for The Verge. And that's kind of the problem we're facing here, right? Because he is making compromises that are really flying in the face of just basic trust and basic usability on Twitter. And meanwhile, for a platform like Reddit, right, you know, Reddit will do, will make like a lot of decisions. They'll eventually, they'll eventually um, just start canning subreddits altogether if they violate their, you know, terms of use or whatever. Instagram is the same way. Facebook is the same way. And I would say that they're less than successful in a lot of cases, right? Bullying, harassment, hate speech, these are all things that still happen on these platforms. They're by no means a done deal. The thing is, Twitter just decided to not even try, which, (laughs) like, even pretending to make an effort eventually makes sure that you are able to cull your user base to a certain extent, right? You're able to filter out some of the worst things that happen. And what happens is that like a lot of communities that used to be very active on Twitter are now just starting to fall by the wayside because the user base that Elon is attracting right now are like crypto spammers or (laughs) Or or NFT people. Yeah. Yeah. They're just... Oh, there's no reason to really be there anymore. There's no, or there's there's no incentive to use Twitter anymore. Right. And 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 again, like with the introduction of Threads, that just has become more and more prevalent. You know, it's it's not, it's it's, it's not really like any of this is new. It's just that the 
everyone has been presented an alternative, you know. So so it's just it's just so interesting that they thought that they can get away with this, and it's interest and it's interesting to see their reaction to um to like realizing, oh. Well, now we have to like get our butts in gear. So far, it's not really good. <laughs> so far, so far, the response is, is not good. You know, they're 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 trying to just tell tell them to stop. Yeah. That's just not going to work. You know, that, that doesn't really. I mean, that doesn't have main legal grounds. Even if you drag it out for two years, you can't really bleed meta dry unless um Mark, I don't know, some somehow decides to go f- like like full blown again scorched earth on his company with the, with the meta thing and, <laughs> and just put put all of his stock into I don't know. SAO tier headgear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really difficult predicament that Twitter finds itself in. And I feel like it boils down ultimately to Elon overestimating a couple of things. One, he is overestimating the value that Twitter has to advertisers and publishers. Mm-hmm. Two, he's overestimating the social value of Twitter. The first one comes down to Twitter can't make all of these horrible management decisions, right? They can't have these repeated crises with identity and with all these things happening on the platform. Like, for example, what happened with the verification issue, Eli and Lily just having their stock price absolutely tank because a fake insulin tweet was like launched by a fake account that pretended to be Eli and Lily. And then what ended up happening as well was he slowly but surely ameliorated more and more and more of these very terrible decisions that caused the social value of Twitter to decline, right? Because now half of the replies under any given tweet is just like either vague, thinly veiled harassment or some form of really awful thing. Like I know the the amount of anti-Semitism I saw on Twitter immediately after the whole Kanye thing was absolutely appalling. In reality, it's a huge trust and safety problem with this platform and none of it is being addressed because Twitter or X Corp or whatever the parent is, it's it's leaning so hard into either complete lack of moderation or moderating through means that we know are ineffective, like AI. And it's also creating kind of a problem with revenue streams. Well, it's also led by someone who doesn't know what they're doing and has too much money to really um, be challenged on it um, too often. I mean, it, it's not it's not like anybody that works at Twitter doesn't know that, that Twitter has problems. They, they got to. There's no way. Yeah. Like, even, even Elon knows. Even Elon like understands that like he like he bought himself into a losing battle effectively you know he he doesn't really stop talking about how like running twitter bleeds him dry or like how te- how tesla is like losing stocks because of the amount of money he has to put into twitter to keep it keep it running you know it's not lost on anyone it's just quite simply that is um that the main guy that's running it doesn't really know how to run a business <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just not someone that it just it, the future of Twitter just depends on, you know, Elon's adaptability for one, because obviously because he's obviously lawsuits aren't going to work. He's been suing suing everything for like the past couple of couple of years now. I, I got to imagine that he's that he's got to understand it's not going to like fly <laughs> for this one. I think it boils down to a couple of similarities between Elon and Zuck. They're very separate 
in ways that really matter strategically, right? So Elon, uh, much like Zuckerberg, has a very easy exit for a lot of his decisions. He owns a very large percentage of Class A shares for uh, his companies like Tesla, SpaceX, all of that kind of stuff. SpaceX and Twitter are completely private, right? They have absolutely no accountability to shareholders. Mm -hmm. So when advertisers just start dropping like flies, when 75% of your top line revenue is going to interest payments, right? Nobody's there to challenge him on that one. The board is basically very loyal to him, Mm. right? At Tesla, the board was very loyal to him. We saw that when they had a gigantic tank in stock and then eventually just started becoming a buy again because, you know, the value valuation rose. And with Tesla, much like with Zuckerberg uh, and with Facebook and all of that, it was growth hacking, right? Right place, right time. The EV market was basically nowhere. And so you start developing a platform, you start uh, building up an entire infrastructure of charging stations that weren't there before. Tesla suddenly skyrockets in value. And in many cases, I would argue is is somewhat overvalued. Um, Like you don't get to like combining multiple valuations of market cap for various car companies and be selling as many cars as Tesla is, frankly. And I I think there's there's kind of a long-term problem with that. And although he's proven himself to be a very talented acquirer, a very talented manager of talent. (laughs) I don't know the best way to put that, but he's, it's not like this guy is stupid, right? right? And that's what the weird thing is here. It's like, he tried to jump into this head first and be like the sole proprietor of this platform. I, you know, it might be because of ego or hubris or Whatever, just, yeah, yeah or like some kind of weird midlife decline that he's going through. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I'm not a psychiatrist, but it's it's very odd. And it's sad to see something that was kind of the paper record for a lot of the Internet just kind of disintegrate like this. Well, yeah. It's, well, disintegrate in terms of reputation, though. I mean, what what is your reputation when, you know, your reputation is already zero? Yeah. But at the same time, it's, it is unfortunate to see it go in the negative. It was at, it, at its core a, a, a free space that where people were able to voice their opinions for better or worse. At the end of the day, it gave people a sense of community. Right. And that's all you can really ask for. And now all that has been squandered in the face of, well, like you said, hubris and also now, like Mark's been in the game for a long time, so he's so he's not even really like going at this aggressively. But um, like like Elon, I can't really say the same. You know, he's just it's just like he's just gonna have to adapt. He's gonna have to change like change up his tactics from here. He's I'm trying to bullhead everything and he thinks that's gonna work, but it's just not at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's not at this point because he he doesn't not only because he doesn't have the funds or or that it's just not like a good plan. Like he's also just backing on like people agreeing with him. You know, and mm-hmm. and it even even the most diehard of of muscular sycophants <laughs> can't really. Def- defend all of his decisions at this point mm-hmm. like he's just doing he's making too many drastic protocols for people to keep up with right. you know and, and there's only so much that you can really excuse before you kind of have to just put your phone down and think what am i doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like if, if there's one thing to like elon did succeed in is getting people to at the very least go um go touch some grass for a couple of hours <laughs> yeah i'm not going to make any predictions here but i have a feeling linda yaccarino is not long for this world judging by her tweets very tone deaf tweets about 
Threads doesn't have the community that we have, I have a feeling that (laughs) she's very quick. She's not even really a good fall guy, and she was hired to be a fall guy. And, you know, very talented person. You know, again, she's built a lot of relationships and a lot of networks while she's been uh, running advertising for NBC Universal. I'm not like, this isn't like trashing Lindy Yaccarino. She is incredibly talented in every other space that's not Twitter. (laughs) She's treating herself like the PR arm of Twitter. But the thing is, that only works when Twitter actually has the reputation for a PR arm to really be successful here. Yeah, that's, that's how Twitter has been like been keeping itself sustained for the past couple of years as is. Yeah. People just coming up in arms to defend it. Right. <laughs> you know, like all these big names and, and stuff. It's nothing new, but uh, it it's just not it's just not sustainable anymore. You know, like those those. Um, the amount of defenders that they, they he that Twitter even has has is dwindling like rapidly at this point, and even uh, is most arduous of um, of them are you know slowing down or just like even like just again beginning to see you know the on um, the light <laughs> so to speak or like or not even like the light I wouldn't even say that it um, that Twitter is a terrible space it's just. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess in comparison, it's almost like Tumblr at this point. We're getting we're getting to Tumblr like cr- like levels of like critical destruction, where where um where it's like um where it's like at some point Twitter's just gonna say, "F it, no more nudity," and then and and and, and we're just gonna be it's gonna be a dead zone, <laughs> like there's gonna be nothing. It's, and and you know what? Eh. <laughs> it it is what it is, but. I don't know. I don't know what that. I don't know what that breaking point is going to be for Twitter. You know, honestly, it probably will be will be the annuity. But I mean, it could be anything yeah. uh, at this point. Uh, but like I digress. It's it's really just a waiting game. It's really just waiting to see what. Not even what uh, Threads does. Really, Threads is going to be fine at least for at least for a while. It's going to be able to swing its proverbial like <laughs> wait around for a bit for yeah. um for even coming coming in like at hardcore. I just hope they don't pull an Epic Games where they try and like kept. Um, like trying to like cap the market, you know, or um, or like trying to like pull stuff away, or um, or something like that. I don't even know how you could feasibly do that, but I feel like it's Instagram. They'll do it. <laughs> they'll, they'll do it. Meta has all power. <laughs> well, speaking of seeing the light, we will talk a little bit about threads when we get back. We're back. So, um, threads is kind of been hitting the scene lately uh twitter in the wake of everything that's been going on there has essentially disintegrated what little value it had to the broader public it's very odd it's like the twitter link right was kind of the universally understood method of really being able to discuss anything with public figures with brands for people to be able to make product announcements stuff like that Mm -hmm. everything from live tweeting apple's wwdc conference every year to uh, fandoms talking about how much they really love jungkook and want to marry him and jungkook 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 it was very creepy for a little bit but hey that's what twitter's all about right it's the best and worst of mankind all tossed into a ring. And then the worst of mankind, for some reason, is much louder. But <laughs> I don't know how he managed to do it, but Elon uh, basically made the worst parts of Twitter the only visible parts, right? And right. Twitter had failed to do that for years, despite how amazing their algorithms were at amplifying outrage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Twitter... Um, I, I don't know how they um, they managed to drop the ball so um like immensely hard. I mean, if I um, if I were to imagine it, 
I um, I kind of envision envision like the the death of Twitter, like uh, Indiana Jones, uh, just um, like running running away from like the the big ball of chaos, uh, like like in the Temple of Doom. You know, uh, it's just um, it's just like calamity after calamity, and it doesn't really know how to stop itself from crashing. It's beautiful. It's almost poetic. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the wake of that. Um, Zuckerberg has basically been trying for years, and there's a reason why he hasn't made a post on Twitter since, like, 2012 and only made another one when Threads launched. Mm. He's been trying for years to kind of dethrone that platform in many ways because, again, Twitter has been the paper of record for the Internet. It has been an easy way to access information through a feed. And Facebook was kind of that way for a little bit, but the problem with Facebook was that it was always a very complicated platform. There were a lot of different features, a lot of different things, a lot of different ways to, like, create a profile, set up a timeline, all of this stuff, and its UX never got any better over time. And as it kind of left campuses and moved to the broader public, suddenly all of these millennials, relatives and stuff like that, you know, who are like posting all kinds of lovely little minion memes. (laughs) And then it just, you know, entered the territory of eternal September. And suddenly, (laughs) and suddenly um, Facebook just kind of uh, withered away, right? And so then people flocked to other platforms. I know Snapchat was a really big thing for Gen Z and it still is to an extent, but Snap just isn't really doing well as a platform lately. Yeah, they're trying to subscribe. And last time I heard the chief of FBI, the former one, is going is going to be uh like managing this one now right. yeah so <laughs> and this is a situation right where instagram oh, managing security Sorry, go on. <laughs> and this is a situation right where instagram's act- acquisition was actually a really good idea right mm. because facebook bought instagram for like a billion dollars uh, well over a decade ago right at this point and now instagram is being used as a jumping off point for something called threads and so what threads basically is uh, in the broadest terms so it was originally pitched by by, um, I think it was Casey Newton of Platformer fame and also on New York Times uh, tech podcast, Hard Fork. He was talking to Adam Masseri, mm. who is um, the Israeli businessman who is basically like the head of Instagram for uh, Meta, the primary driver behind their most arguably successful platform, which is Instagram. Instagram's most um, uh vital feature, I guess, for Meta is the fact that it has a lot of brand engagement. It has a lot of account engagement. It has a lot of things that Facebook just genuinely doesn't have, which also includes the younger audience. And I have, you know, my parents who are a little bit older, right? They are on on Instagram, but they don't post anything there, right? Like they'll look at the comics that my brother's wife will make or something, right? But that's not the core audience of Instagram and they don't engage with Instagram a whole bunch. And that's kind of the same thing that Twitter had, right? So you can kind of avoid the the whole like creepy old uncle vibe, right, on Twitter. Yeah. So what happens, right, is you have a little bit of cross-pollination between these two platforms because Twitter is a place with a lot of brand and and creator engagement, but the problem is the click-through rate is horrible. And so any publisher or brand that wants to do anything on Twitter never, A, never had the audience that they had on other platforms, and B, never really had the uh, way to drive revenue. Mm. It was great for Mindshare, right? Like if you're Wendy's and you have a social media account and you just want to post like snappy replies to other brands, man, that was, you know. Efficient, yeah. Super efficient, right? One of the best social media marketing campaigns of all time was the whole Wendy's thing. And then suddenly every other brand started aping them. It's like 
Sonic the Hedgehog became essentially a Wendy's Twitter clone after a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Opera GX and all of these other ones that are very famous on Twitter for doing what they do. Right. And so we start to have this little question or this little problem that comes before us, right? Which is, what is Instagram's future? Well, Instagram's future was made very clear with the disintegration of Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so now suddenly you have this ability to basically make a drop-in replacement and people are so disgruntled with the current state of Twitter. And, you know, there's a reason why they waited so long to uh, basically establish threads as a competitor was because they had to wait for it to just become enough of a dumpster fire where everyone was leaving the platform and not enough of a dumpster fire to where like everybody is reevaluating their relationship with social media, right? Right. They they, they needed they needed the momentum for a mass exodus, right. and um and they can and they they did get the mass exodus they um they they wanted and they you know, managed to feed uh these um these stragglers and um, refugees with the um, with the sweetest of content, yeah. uh, you know, um, you know, Threads um, at its core um, is um, designed for text-based conversations, uh, and not only that, it's a standalone, uh, and it's connected to your Instagram account too. So. Uh, no matter what, you can use your existing username and password to sign in. So there's so much transferability from uh, from Instagram, uh, which you can really just think of as like a wide hub, be able to drive the, that main community over to Threads as, um, as well too, um, while still attracting that um, that uh, Twitter base. So you're pretty much getting a two pronged assault of just of just new users. You get an existing user base as well as a um, a um, a starving user base basically, um, and then and then and not only that. But uh, they um, they keep on they keep it the gravy train going while still keeping alive the twit the Twitter familiar uh, like features. I mean, like once you're logged in, uh, you can start following people and creating threads like right away like that. Uh, twit and um is very similar to Twitter in that regard, but. You, um, they can be, um, but um, Twitter posts or not Twitter posts, sorry, uh, thread, thread posts uh, can be up to 500 characters long and can include photos, videos, and links as well. Uh, you can also reply um, to other people's threads, and you can share your threads on your Instagram story or feed. Yeah, you know, uh, which is all of the integrations that Twitter actually had previously, right? And, exactly. Like, you can share, you can even share Twitter posts to your Instagram feed, pretty. And like that's the thing, Twitter embeds, all of this stuff, all of these are features that Twitter like had, like. Yeah. They had yeah, already. They had very simply, yeah. What was interesting in particular about Threads was its product announcement and product uh, direction from the very beginning. So this was originally announced, like fully announced, like it had been circulating internally for a while and there were the rumor mill was speculating all kinds of things about it. <laughs> um, but it was originally announced at the beginning of this month by Adam Asiri, uh, who went up on stage and he said, we need a Twitter alternative that's, quote, sanely run, unquote. And that alternative that was sanely run was originally titled Project 92, which is a cheeky little reference to the year that the first text message was sent, which was 1992. And what it was basically meant to be, again, was incredibly drop in. And it kind of has that vibe right now. So the whole gist of what I was getting at here was that Threads as it exists right now feels basically like the Instagram comments feed was sort of copy pasted to an entirely separate platform, right? Mm -hmm. It's very drop in. You already have, and that's the thing, like other Twitter competitors were horrible because 
if you go on Mastodon, you go on Blue Sky, you go on T2, you go on Hive.Social, all of these other platforms, the reason why the only core user base they ever attracted was just nerds, and it was just, like, nerds who really hated Twitter and were willing to put up with all of the instability and garbage of a new platform while also having no following. And sure, you know, like, high-profile people still move to these platforms. George Takei is on Mastodon, for example. Um, and then there's, you know, Action Retro. There's a lot of, like, little YouTubers that go Kanye. on Mastodon. Devendra Hardawar, who Kanye is West. a senior senior editor at uh, Engadget. Kanye West. Connie, Connie West is on Mastodon. No, Connie West is on Mastodon. Uh, he, did he? He didn't make like his own social platform, right? Oh God, yeah. I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah, him, yeah, him and uh, Can- Candace Owens is a uh, husband. They have like have their own. Oh, oh, hang on, I'm gonna I'm I'm Google it. Sorry, de- sorry, derail it. This thing. I really don't know about that. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, that was sort of the problem. And right. uh, Jack Dorsey, who is the founder and former CEO of Twitter, he he established Blue Sky, but Blue Sky doesn't even have a mobile app, and it's also just unstable in various ways. Hive Social. I mean, all props to Reluca Pop. Right. You know, she's very talented, very smart person. But like, I don't really think that she started something that I could see as like an actual Twitter competitor or alternative. The thing that Mastodon and Blue Sky did really well, though, was Blue Sky had the AT protocol. Mastodon plugged into ActivityPub, which uh, at this point is about a 10 year old way of linking together different platforms across the Internet. Right. With ActivityPub, you have like a specific handle, which is basically like an email address. Right. So mine on Mastodon is Mark Zimmerman at Mastodon dot party. Right. And that Mark Zimmerman at Mastodon.party can be followed by anything that has ActivityPub. So there's PixelFed, which is an Instagram competitor, which it integrates with ActivityPub. So you can see my stuff there. Right. There's, um, you know, PeerTube, which is a YouTube competitor that's also decentralized, also runs on ActivityPub. And much like Discord or Reddit or something like that, these communities are rather siloed, right? So they're running on their own servers. They're running on different moderation teams, but some of them are federated. So like some of them are kind of working together to have like a common moderation principle, like on Mastodon, the main federated servers do their whole thing and, you know, have like a much stricter, uh, moderation policy than twitter does but at the same time they just like don't really scale it doesn't scale well right and that's a problem like these aren't commercial products they don't scale well and they are very clearly not designed to be commercial products which is fine but like some people do kind of want algorithms so that they know who to follow instead of just seeing like trending hashtags across mastodon and i've built you know, more of a following on Mastodon than I have on any other platform because it's still new, because engagement is still high for newer accounts. But that's likely not going to last forever. So Threads does pretty much everything that Mastodon does, but it does it with like an established vendor as the back end for that. Mm -hmm. That established vendor, of course, is Meta, right? So Meta is here. They have their entire ad stack. They have their all of their mobile and desktop development teams. They have all of the stuff, right? Mm. And they're basically throwing their weight around to, to build threads. And you can say whatever you want about like a single company owning all the ways we communicate. That's a great, you know, point to make, right? That is a very interesting precedent that we can talk about forever. But the whole thing with threads is that it's integrating – it's like at least the, the goal eventually. This wasn't a feature at launch. Again, a whole lot of things were missing at launch. <laughs> 
activity pub was its way to kind of integrate with the rest of the future of the social internet with Mastodon, with PixelFed, with, uh, you know, all of this stuff. And assuming activity pub gets integrated across Meta's entire product stack, then what you'll see are, you know, posts from other accounts going into various other meta products, right? right? And you can selectively follow those, right? Like type my like Mastodon handle into a search bar and have that appear in your threads or Facebook feed. So ostensibly, right, this is the goal. And Adam Masiri has said this, although again, they haven't really found a way to completely integrate it yet. And there's some questions that that poses around moderation and how um, you know, things like your ad stack will work with ActivityPub, which is really difficult because ActivityPub doesn't have native support for ad integration, huh. and which is kind of a good thing. But it's basically like a two-way RSS feed that they're trying to build. Now, the problem with that is that Threads, as it stands right now, is basically, again, just that drop-in Twitter competitor. Like, this is the, the, the crux of the whole thing, is that this is a drop-in replacement. And you also have the SEO key phrase of the day, which is at launch, right? There are a lot of features promised, but Threads rolled out a day earlier than it was supposed to on July 5th instead of July 6th, right? right? And so basically they had this gigantic influx of users. And so a lot of their infrastructural team was dedicated to making it so that the platform could handle the fact that there's all of this, um, you know, new activity, all of this new engagement and get this, People are already noticing that their accounts are getting far more engagement on threads than they did on Twitter, which is kind of a sign that really Twitter's value in terms of engagement, in oh, terms of yeah. driving user growth. No, yeah, I don't. On. No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, even, um, even I just uh, latched onto the um, the thread bandwagon myself. Mm-hmm. At um, by the way, at um, Linnell Thrax uh, Threads.net, shameless plug. Oh, uh, and and uh, um, even within the past couple of days, I have I've got kind of quite um like. Quite quite a few like follow, like followers like with like within like I don't know let's see when I when I get in in three days yeah I'm 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 already like over 10, 15, yeah I'm, I kind of just kind of just get them like when I get them and I haven't gotten on like any kind of traffic like that on Twitter well ever ever since I really joined the site so you know like like. Um, like interaction um like on like on here is way is way more rapid mm-hmm. like just from like just from being a instagram user you know like a lot of people that um that follow you on instagram can just find you much easier like than like say on twitter you know there's no there's no like integrated you know like a uh, like base for like um people that were in like same like in the same like proximity like in a on the community basis or anything like that right um by the way another shameless plug i'm uh, mark zimmerman 2003 at threads.net um you know and it also integrates with my instagram so you can follow me there too yeah. i'm you know i'm saying you can't i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make a call to action here but all, all the same is possible okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah and, and that's kind of the thing it's like threads is integrating with all of these open web standards there's also a lot better engagement there people have basically found that their entire social graph from instagram can essentially just be ported right over right so there's thing there are things like um the new york times is a good example right the New York Times um, probably got like very little engagement on Twitter because they heavily de-emphasize media and news accounts. And so they already had a really big following on Instagram because they post a lot of short form content. And then there's NYT cooking, NYT travel, all that stuff. So then New York Times, 
basically took its whole social graph from Instagram. And not only are you taking your social graph from Instagram, you're also taking a lot of disgruntled Twitter users. <laughs> so it's this gigantic influx of followership, gigantic influx of activity. But the problem is, again, drop in, drop in, drop in, drop in, drop in. Even though your engagement is really high on threads, you don't have a system of hashtagging. Which Instagram has. Like, why is tagging not on this platform at launch, right? Yeah. Why is editing posts not on this platform at launch? Why are these, like, very core things that are, like, very fundamental to the social graph and the usability of Twitter, the searchable text feed, the who am I following feed? And you know what? It's fine, right? Because what we want is something that's stable and something that's sanely run, something that performs well, right? So if they're mostly focused on, you know, making sure nothing bugs out on iOS and Android as it's already doing because iOS 17 users are already are already noticing like on the iOS 17 beta, you just can't use it on iPhones then. Um, but and on Android, for some reason, at launch, it wasn't available directly through the Play Store. You had to like go into Instagram, then tap on... Um, a threads handle, right? And so then that numeric handle would show what number you are in terms of joining threads, and then it would take you into threads, and then threads would be installed as an app from Instagram. That's com just completely weird. But, and then you kind of run into the other issues that Meta has had. Um, Adam Masseri has recently talked about de-emphasizing news um, and de-emphasizing media as a whole on um, threads as it stands. And while they aren't planning on completely removing the news feed, and while they aren't planning on completely removing media accounts from threads, it still speaks to this thing. It's like, you know, brand engagement is really good on right. threads, right? News engagement is generally pretty good on threads. Again, it's consistent. Yeah. It's New York Times, Guardian, they're all getting a lot of engagement there. But the problem that Meta has had just generally is the fact that they just don't have really great um, reputation or great relationship with media. Recently, they've just stopped paying um, news platforms entirely for hosting their articles on their on their sites, and um, that's gotten them into a lot of legal hot water. Canada, Australia, European Union—they're a platform gatekeeper, and also since Meta violates a whole lot of agreements established in um, GDPR in the European Union. You just can't even sign on to threads if you live in Europe. Oh, that's just terrible. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's yeah. sad. I mean, but if you're in the United Kingdom, uh, you can because well, not a part of the EU. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's – and so that's – Ripped all my Aussies. Yeah, like that's <laughs> – and that's the thing, because what happens is you have a primarily North American user base at this moment. You have a somewhat incomplete feature set at this moment. So threads can very easily shoot right past Twitter, right? Mark Zuckerberg is known for growth hacking. We brought up growth hacking earlier. It's going to come right back around now. <laughs> growth hacking is a huge part of why threads is seeing so much engagement right now. Will that last? Well, they have to roll out features really quickly if they want it to. Yeah, I think, I think that they definitely could compete. Uh, with Twitter very easily. I mean, like you said, on the app technically is still in development. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it really just depends on, well, for for me, it, it really just it depends on engagement. Right. It, it um I feel like at, uh, at at the end of the day, what they really have on Twitter here is um is a um established um base where ev um where everybody um knows what to expect um mm -hmm. from their um at least to, um, from their uh their parent company, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so um so honestly, I really feel like all they really have to do is 
to make a streamlined Instagram. You know, that's all that's all they really have to do to keep them um, to keep this thing like running in any in any shape or fashion. And then um and then just really highlight those um those like uh, Twitter esque uh um like features uh and and try um and try to um keep consistent with um with improving on them. You know, uh, um at, and. Like as opposed to how Twitter's been doing it, they pretty much been flying at the seat of their pants. Like I almost feel like they've been doing like a lot of like uh, public moderation, you know, over on Twitter. And I um like like not purposely. It's just that um so many things keep on falling by the wayside or slipping through the, through the cracks that it's almost like you have to have it reported by um by the um by the community um for it to be a problem. And then even then, um, it's it's taken a couple of years before anything gets done about it. Like even the the rate scalping thing, they've known about that for years. There's nothing has been done about it. You know, I feel feel like if Twitter, um, if a thread is just a lot more reactionary on on that and um internal, like if they just have like a lot more like vigilance over that, then really the platform's going to do just fine. They don't really have to do much to be better than Twitter, uh, other than just cult like cultivate their like cultivate the people that 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 need their fix you know it's just not it's not that hard to do but the problem is like to do that to build a community it kind of requires certain features like tagging like text search like doing all these things so yeah like threads is very easily going to be the only platform that is actually capable of killing twitter in the way that other platforms promise to kill twitter um but they need to capitalize on this right they need to strike for the neck while it's still open um and they aren't doing that currently at the rate that a lot of people thought they would Mm. hopefully that changes soon uh, because I just I want to write little sentences, little jokes, and not have like half the tweets underneath it to be anti-Semitism. <laughs> well, yeah, as long as they moderate that, it should be fine. I mean, Twitter, I mean, Instagram is kind of okay at that, but on the nudity side, oh no, 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 no. Yeah, so, like, and they've had like a lot of moderation scandals, right? Like, it's va- vaccine conspiracies, election conspiracies, Freddie all Gibbs, of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, yeah, the you know, CSAM content, all of that has all been that. big. Yeah, right? they just keep on. Yeah, yeah, Instagram has like a bit of a checkered past when it comes to their moderation, but yeah. we build like your trust and safety team, Meta. Yeah, we 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 have your trust. We, I mean, you, I'll I'll bestow a little bit of my of my like trust into into them not by much not not even like really by by like a whole decimal however i'll i'll say that i expect them to act like responsible adults and know and know that if they want this thing to at the very least survive they should probably they should probably be on on their p's and q's this time yeah like just unless they want to be lazy which i mean it'll still it'll still function just the same it's just yeah. that <laughs> like my expectations will will just be like okay well i guess we got twitter 2.0 <laughs> and when we get back we will return to the grab bag uh, we've gone already over time because we just have so many thoughts on threads but yeah, <laughs> we'll see you then We're back, or more accurately, I'm back for the grab bag. Um, Michael had to go tend to some personal matters. He needed to pick somebody up, so he's going to be out of the studio for the remainder of the episode, which means I have free reign to talk about whatever I want. The teacher's out of the classroom, guys. All right, it's time to party. So uh, first up, we have a story from The Verge about all of the drama going on with Evernote. Uh, Just in case you have or haven't, Evernote was kind of this really big, uh, both on the web, on the desktop, on mobile, note-taking app, essentially. Um, It was founded in 2008, or it launched in 2008, but then early on and kind of as it just sort of 
moved into the 2010s, it suffered a lot of the same problems that many other VC-backed startups face. Uh, it lagged behind in terms of product development with competitors as newer startups that were more lean started to kind of get a lot of Evernote's features into their apps and get a lot of their smart note taking, taking market share from them as well. Then Evernote just sort of bogged itself down with feature after feature. It had an email inbox for a while, if I remember correctly. Then there was also so uh, just constant bugginess as a result of this. The app started to become very slow. It started to just cost way more than it was realistically worth for a lot of people that were trying to use it. Um, I know, for example, Notion was a big competitor that they just never really responded to very well. Evernote, as we know, has not really been in great shape since the mid-2010s. They have been kind of going into a little bit of a doom spiral that they mildly recovered from in 2016. They had to raise the premium plan price to like $70 a year, and they greatly limited the uh, free tier. And then on top of that also had like a big data scandal regarding employees at Evernote being able to read your posts, and it kind of went into this like weird stasis for a little bit and then also like got into this high-minded communication regarding it like we don't sell user data for revenue we're not here to drive growth through ads which like okay yeah you can say that but if the employees are able to read people's posts then what are you actually doing um and so they had a bit really high executive turnover uh, and that kind of caused a big leadership drought in Evernote for a while. It's constantly suffering from bug reports. It's down quite frequently. And all of the reliance on cloud services in particular has just kind of made Evernote something of a bloated mess. It keeps trying to pursue more and more and more features. Like, why is there an email inbox that's included within certain price tiers of Evernote? It tries to treat itself almost like part blogging service and part it's odd there's like a social networking component too because of course everything had to have a social networking component in the 2010s and that caused it really to just sort of crumble under its own weight again like many other startups of its type it started to suffer from the fact that they just thought they could become an incubator for all these other different projects and then suddenly when the tide went out everyone was revealed to have been swimming naked this whole time and uh, they were bought out by a european app developer Bending Spoons, which is based in Italy. They basically, in November of 2022, acquired Evernote, laid off 129 employees in February, and then now they're just canning the entire North American and South American divisions of Evernote, period, right? So uh, the US-based uh, offices for Evernote are now gone. The Chile-based offices for Evernote are now gone, and they're moving all of the stuff over to Europe, which they say will boost operational efficiency, which is their words, not mine. What this is starting to look like more and more is very similar to a private equity deal. Basically, we have an app developer that sure has experience in this field, but we don't really know if they have any sort of product expertise when it comes to something like Evernote. They're buying it out, they're divesting a lot of its assets, and they're moving everything around. I just don't know if Evernote's going to be able to survive this because Evernote's already had a massive decline in sales and a massive decline in use in recent years, but we'll see. 
frankly, it just looks really sad right now for a platform that once basically had a stranglehold on the digital note-taking market, which didn't respond to competition all that well, and frankly, just tried to do too much. And even from my own experience, using Evernote was always like using Facebook in the modern day, right? Where you have all of these different little portals to go everywhere and all of this like weird networking stuff. And then you have uh, like an email inbox for some reason. Again, it's just, I don't really like what Evernote has become, but best of luck to Bending Spoons. Um, I don't know what they're actually going to do with it. After that, we have another story from The Verge. Apparently, since April, the Mayo Clinic has been testing a chatbot from Google. Uh, and that chatbot is a medical AI. So basically what it's able to do is very similar to the capabilities of something like a dock in a box. I think everybody remembers dock in a box. It started, it sort of spiked in popularity during the pandemic when people didn't really feel safe to go into hospital environments, especially with so many COVID patients and everything like that. So um, dock in a box was a big thing. So this is basically meant to be an automation of that, right? So we have Med Palm 2, which is based off of Palm 2, that is Google's main sort of AI chat interface backend that they have. So in May, this was the research that Google made public about that this whole medical AI. Um, it was revealed that this thing still has a whole bunch of um, issues with misinformation and with hallucinations and with just confidently lying to the person trying to interface with it like a lot of these other chatbots have. It's obviously going to take a long time before this type of stuff is actually integrated into a healthcare environment. And it's important to note that these chatbots are really nothing new. We've had AI Dungeon for years and years and years. The big thing that these new models that Google and OpenAI and all these other companies are experimenting with is the fact that they have a whole bunch more computing power available to them. Companies like NVIDIA have been ramping up their data center products to be able to serve B2B clients in particular. So this is uh, really interesting, I guess, for the future of medicine and for the future of telehealth in particular, especially in rural areas or in countries that aren't quite as wealthy either. That don't have really a whole lot of access to medical practitioners. And telehealth is a really big way to fill in the gap for coverage for a lot of these people. I just worry that this is probably a little bit further out than it might seem. Um, of course, if we only toss it into a database full of like really solid um, evidence-based practice in terms of medicine, perhaps it'll do a lot better. But right now, um, even though this is specifically tailored towards giving medical advice, it doesn't seem to be doing quite that well at it right now. But these are developing products and they're likely to continue growing as their user base develops more use cases for it. So then we have some news out of both the Washington Post and Engadget. Both have reported a decline in user growth for ChatGPT. It actually saw its first aggregate decline in users ever. 
Um, this is OpenAI's chatbot, of course. And what's interesting here is uh, SimilarWeb has reported an 8.5% user minutes drop aggregate as of May 2023. The Post has recorded something of a 10% drop. Although an interesting thing that the Post adds as context is like this might be because of summer break, right? You know, a lot of students were using this um, large language model to kind of compile essays or outlines or, you know, various um, recommendations letters and things like that for their inboxes and stuff. And this is also a time when people who had quit their jobs and needed to write like a whole bunch of cover letters are now starting to kind of funnel into new positions. So that's also probably causing it. But What's interesting here is that SimilarWeb has also reported that similar products such as Google Bard, Microsoft Bing, Character AI have also declined, which is not something you would see if this was solely just like a summer break related thing, right? If it were just, you know, a bunch of people that were using it as students and then suddenly dropping off because they didn't need it anymore. So what this might suggest is that generally people are looking for real products then, um, at least what I would uh, interpret it this as, because I've said on the podcast, this Google Bard, uh, Microsoft being AI, OpenAI, uh, ChatGPT, these are very unfocused and they're very generalized. And Sam Altman, very knowledgeable guy, but he knows a lot more about this than me, but I tend to disagree with him in the sense that like you can't like reach AGI in the way that he kind of wants it to because you need something specialized. You need something that's able to do one task really well instead of trying to dedicate a whole bunch of different resources to a bunch of scattered different projects. And right, this is going to create a new sector of industry. This is going to create something really good potentially um, with these large language models. Again, it's nothing particularly new. You're just automating more of the stuff because you have more computing power and more parameters parameters available in these models that you're using. And therein lies the crux of the matter. These brand new, really big VC-backed tech products are always seeing like very rapid, very quick adoption. And they're always seeing a whole bunch of circulation through the news cycles. We know Be Real and Vine were examples of social networks that just became flashes in the pan because they weren't really able to drive growth through any sort of new feature set or drive revenue through any sort of ad stack that made any sense. So what's happening here is I think we're starting to see like more of a self-correcting behavior in the market. What I think these chatbots have really proven to us is that although they're great, again, for that sort of test kitchen-y behavior, although they're really great for that experimentation, they're really great as platforms for building actual products, they definitely just feel like internal testing kits or dev kits or something of that nature, right? And it's just better to kind of consolidate that that a little bit more where you need to and make more tailored models that are able to address more specific concerns. Like AI Dungeon is a good example. Again, it was mostly tailored towards writing stories and basically being an automatically generating dungeon master for a D&D game or something like that. We see stuff like Google SGE, which is there specifically to pull information from the web and 
show it right there in a big nexus right above your search results. Again, it tends to plagiarize a lot of things, but assuming these things get better at natural language, it'll probably be able to actually provide you more of a unique set of perspectives on something, and hopefully it'll actually link to articles directly, which is something that Microsoft's Bing AI is a lot better at doing. But at the same time, Bing AI also tries to do stuff like create edgy live journal rants about why you should divorce your spouse, which is also not helpful. Moving forward, we have a hardware product to tie together all of the software we've been talking about lately. This is the Fairphone 4, and Ars Technica is reporting on it. The Fairphone 4 is basically a really, you know, repairable, really uh, environmentally friendly smartphone that was really big in Europe for a little bit, and it was only available in the European Union, and I think the United Kingdom as well. And basically what it was was an Android smartphone that you were able to pull pull the back cover off, take the battery out, take the camera out, take the display, all of this stuff, all the little modules and everything you'll need really easily. And that's why it got a 10 out of 10 repair score from iFixit, which is an aggregator for repair guides and also reviews on products based on their repairability. It's also made out of recycled plastic, very environmentally friendly, all that kind of stuff, right? And so they are finally releasing this product in the United States. Now, the United States doesn't really have a big market in in terms of sustainable quote-unquote smartphones. Um, there's the TerraCube 2E, which I remember correctly, it was not uh, very shined upon by reviewers. It had a lot of problems, including performance issues, including just other basic things that you would expect to be features on modern smartphones that just aren't there. Um, the display was pretty bad, all of that. Fairphone is a little bit nicer. It's still not like the highest end Android smartphone. It doesn't have the best uh, system on a chip. It doesn't have the best display or the best cameras, but it's a lot better than the TerraCube 2E. And it also comes with five years of promised operating system updates, which in Android is intense. Like compared to iOS, Android tends to fall behind because of a lot of things Either it's carriers not pushing over-the-air updates or it's, um, you know, device manufacturers wanting to sell cheaper devices and thus subsidizing that by just not supporting older devices for longer. And then there's Qualcomm, which their chips won't run on newer versions of Android depending on how old they are. So Fairphone is actually pushing uh, those five years of operating system updates to smartphones. But they've actually pushed, I think, up to seven years on the Fairphone 3, uh, which is absolutely insane. So yeah, the Fairphone is very slow to iterate. That's by design. It's meant to be repairable. It's meant to last users a longer time. Although this version of the Fairphone that's coming to the United States, it won't ship with Google's Android by default. We all know Android, right? We all know how by default it'll have a lot of Google services and apps pre-installed. That's the GMS mobile stack, right? Um, so that'll have Google Maps, Google Play Store, YouTube, Google Messages, RCS, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, the Fairphone doesn't really uh, do that. It's based on it's still based on Android on the Android open source project, but it's like a different fork that doesn't have Google stuff. It's slash E. It's more privacy focused. It's by a company called Morena, um, which, you know, depending on how you look at it, might be a feature or a bug of this particular thing. Uh, it'll kind of, I guess we'll have to wait to see. 
um, in terms of how user adoption is going to be. Again, since you don't have access to the Play Store, a lot of particularly paid apps and a lot of apps that require Google mobile services to function properly just aren't going to work here, including things like connecting to Chromebooks or connecting to Wear OS watches. It's probably going to make a pretty big splash among tech communities, but I'm going to wait for a Google version to come out before I can say definitively whether or not consumers are going to be really interested in this thing. Um, still looks pretty neat. And regardless, really happy to see more options for environmentally friendly smartphones in the United States because we just don't, we just tend not to get all of the cool handsets that countries in Asia and Europe tend to get just because our market's different here. A lot of it's controlled by carriers. And so basically Samsung, Google, Apple, Motorola, HMD Global, they corner the entire market here. So seeing any new competitor is always a really, really, really good thing. Finally, uh, this is reporting from the New York Times, a TikTok trend, right? This is normally like outside of our general purview here on this show, but here's the thing, right? Michael's gone. And so there's nobody to check my sanity. There's nobody to push back on this. So I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, TikTok is still a tech thing, right? It's still very influential around the world. And it's where a lot of Zoomers are spending a lot of their time. So it's important to keep up with what's big on there, right? Because that kind of drives the culture in a sort of roundabout way in the same way that like Twitter wasn't real life. Yeah. But some of the things from Twitter tended to seep into the real world, like Arab Spring. This is not on the level of Arab Spring, but this is something called girl dinner, right? So think about charcuterie plates, right? Think about charcuterie plates made for one person. Apparently, this was partially influenced by medieval peasant din dinners, right? So you have like a, a your breads and cheeses that are just kind of laid out on a plate. Nothing is cooked because like you were working all day, right? So you didn't have time to do all of that, nor did you have the resources. And it's also, I don't know if you've noticed, incredibly hot here in the United States right now and around the world. We've recently had some of the hottest days on record since we've started recording this, which is not great, but it has people looking for solutions. So why not have like a cold meal that doesn't involve opening up your oven and blasting yourself with heat inside of an apartment that's probably not air conditioned fully and has an aging HVAC system. So we have uh, this one from uh, Livy Marr or Olivia Marr on TikTok who kind of uh, started the whole like trend in terms of the context of like medieval peasants. And yeah, again, it's just a charcuterie plate for one, right? So the average makeup of these is like some kind of starch, you know, you have like your breads and cheeses or sometimes crackers, you have pepperoncinis, all that kind of stuff, right? All of the general fixings you'd expect from a charcuterie plate, but it's called by a different name now. It's not that complicated, guys. It's a charcuterie plate, right? But it does kind of make me think, right? Were Lunchables just like a slippery slope into charcuterie? I just want you to think about that as we uh, wrap up for today. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm going to read us out. I've already gone way off the deep end. This is what happens when Michael's gone for like five minutes. I just completely go insane. This has been Edgenode. Our station manager is Lily Conducey, and our production manager is Cyan Schumann. Our theme music was composed by Grace C. Elliott. Special thanks to the University of Alaska Anchorage for providing the equipment and studio, and we'll see you next time. You can stay tuned right here on KRUA 88.1 FM or tune into our podcast feed at theurbansands.net. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's time to start stitching our posts to giant pieces of fabric. Social media is dead.